So the apps, the, the thankfulness is not dependent on the absence of problems or trials in, your, in our lives. And I know you know this illustration, but let's start with this illustration this morning. And this is a famous cup of glass, you know. You all know this glass because you have it. This is your glass. This is how we look at life. You know, we can look at life and say it's half full or it's half empty. So how do we look at life? Because we, we suffer trials in life, there's issues, and we, if we focus on what is half empty, we see what's lacking. We're dissatisfied, and it creates an attitude of dissatisfaction in our hearts, even makes us not be thankful for what we have in many ways, and, and we become bitter in many ways, and that's not a good place to be. And I think for us as believers, as Christians, the only options for us to look at our glass is really to say, my glass is half full. It's not half empty. It is always half full. Although I'm still lacking, I do not have everything I may want, but the Lord has provided what we need. What we need, He has provided, He has given. And so I think Thanksgiving is just a great opportunity for us to remember that the Lord has provided, the Lord has given. It may only be half of what you would like, but He has given you what you need. So be thankful for what He has given, you know. So that's a good opportunity for us, especially in Thanksgiving. And, and, and do do this Maybe even as, as family, as you get together this, this week, maybe just set, take some time aside and just ask, hey, what are you thankful for? You know, sometimes we need to be reminded, really, I am thankful. I can be grateful. It doesn't matter, even if life sometimes is hard, but I can be grateful because the Lord has been good to us through it all. He is faithful and He's good. And so, um, so this is... What Paul in many ways says, you know, this is the cup of thanksgiving, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. It, of course, he's talking about the blood of Jesus in, 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 as we do communion. But the cup of thanksgiving in, in Greek is the Eucharist. And that's what the Catholics use, the Eucharist. You know, when they, they communion, they call it the Eucharist because the you, you means good and carries his grace. It's the good grace of the Lord. It's the grace of the Lord that we receive each and every day throughout this life. So this morning I would like to talk to you about the Lord of the harvest. Because Thanksgiving for us in many ways in, in, in the American culture, and by the way, I had a PowerPoint presentation, so my cup is half full. It's not fully full because I forgot it. So, um, and Bonnie said I just have to dance up front to keep you awake. So I have to listen to my wife, of course. I'll try to dance up front here a little bit to keep you uh, on your toes, but um, <clears throat> For us, Thanksgiving has a lot to do with the early settlers, the pioneers that came to the United States, but they brought a tradition with them, didn't they? Did they not? And tradition was to thank the Lord. And that's actually a biblical principle. It's, it's, it's a command in Scripture that we are to praise God. And the Israelites were to assemble three times. Uh, <coughs> they were to come together. It was the Passover, it was Pentecost, which was the Feast of, of the Weeks, and it was the Feast of the Tabernacles, of course, which is uh, Thanksgiving time, uh, and the Day of Atonement as well plays into this. So they had to assemble, and so we have this tradition of setting aside a Sunday. They had this even before. It was a harvest time. It was a harvest Thanksgiving celebration. In, in, in the culture I grew up, people would actually bring produce, and they would put it on the stage right here, Everybody would bring, like, from their garden, so they might buy something at a store. And they would bring it, they would present. It was a beautiful presentation. And sometimes it was given to the needy. <clears throat> sometimes it was given to the pastor. And that was nice, actually, when I was a pastor, because you could get a lot of fresh fruit and produce. 
So, um, but it's an opportunity for us to really remember the Lord of the harvest, he who has provided, because ultimately all things that you have, everything you have comes from God. There's nothing, nothing that is not from God. And that's an easy exercise to do. I mean, if you look at a loaf of bread, you know exactly where that came from. Okay, well, it came from flour. The flour came from the wheat. Where did the wheat come from? Well, from a farmer who planted it. Well, how did, was the farmer able to plant the, the, the corn or the wheat in the fields? Because God has given the land, he's given the rain, he's given the sunshine, even the seed. It gets a little bit more complicated if we look like a cell phone, you know. You mean God gave me this? Um, well, I think the Chinese made it. Well, yes, they did, but... There's nothing in this cell phone, nothing. And we've changed some of it. But everything comes somehow out of the ground. Uh, it was uh, um, resources that we take out of the environment and, and basically turn into a cell phone, into a TV, whatever it is. So everything we have is taken from around us because the Lord has given it to us. So there's nothing, nothing that you have that God has not given he is the God of the harvest, and he has provided for us abundantly, above and beyond anything that we could ask for. He's a good God. And so this morning, what I would like to do is, is to talk a little bit about this harvest, and that God is the Lord of the harvest, and not just talk about this physically, but spiritually. What kind of harvest is God pursuing in our lives? So I want to take us to two uh, parables, and these are famous parables. I know you know these parables, but sometimes maybe by revisiting them, hope, revisiting them, hopefully we can learn more and more about what Jesus was trying to communicate to us. So if you have your Bibles, this is not on the screen, I apologize, but a Bible is a book. You can open it. It's also an app on a phone. So if you prefer your app on the phone, that's fine. So uh, go to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to just skip over the first one because you're so familiar with it. The, the parable of the sower is the story where Jesus says, A farmer went out to sow seed, and some of it fell on the path, and the birds came and picked it up. Some of it fell under the rocks, and it grew up, but there wasn't much soil. So when the sun came up, it scorched the seeds, and, and it died. Uh, some of it fell among the thorns or the bushes, and it had no, no room to grow, so uh, with time, it choked out the life, and the seeds died as well. But some of it fell on good ground, and it bore fruit, some of it a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times as much uh, that was sown. After this, Jesus told them a second parable. That's the one, one I want to focus in on a little bit more and compare these two together. So Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bible open to verse 24... This is the second parable that Jesus told the disciples. So Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. 
At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the weeds and bring it in to my barn. And then the interpretation. Uh, verses, verse 36. Uh, 37, excuse me. So he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all, of, all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him hear. So, the Lord of the harvest. God is pursuing a harvest in this world. So, what I would like to do is compare these two parables to give us a full picture of what this looks like that God is, uh, is, is harvesting in this world today. So, the first one is, who is the sower in, this parable, in these parables, these two parables. Who are the sowers in these parables? And the first parable, the parable of the sower, it doesn't actually say who the sower is. It says a farmer. A farmer went out to sow the seed. But it depends on the response, those who hear, basically. So anyone who hears receives the words, where it receives the word. So who is the sower? Anyone. Anyone. You can be a sower. As we sow the seed of the word of God, we become like a farmer who is planting seeds into the hearts of people. So in the first paragraph, it can be Jesus, it can be God, but it can also be us. As we join the cause of, of sharing the word of God, we become farmers. Did you know that Jesus never used the word evangelism? He didn't. It doesn't show up until later. It's, it only shows up once or twice in the New Testament, actually. In Ephesians chapter 4, and one other time, I think. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a word that showed up later because evangelism means to take the good news. So Jesus didn't, he brought the good news, but what did Jesus do? How did he talk about it? He talked about it in a picture. He says, well, it's like a farmer who goes out to sow the seed. Your main job is to sow the seed. That's our job, not the growth the growth is up to God. Actually, Mark tells us another parable when he says, a farmer went out to sow the seed, and then he went to bed. And the seed grew. He did not know how, whether he watched it or not. It didn't matter. The seed grew of its own, and then the harvest came. So Jesus is trying to say, basically, God makes things grow. But he uses us to sow the seed. So who's the sower? Well, we're part of that process. So the process of sowing the seed. But in the second parable, who is the sower? The parable of the weeds. Who is the sower? Verse 37, I think it is. The sower is? No. The son of man. Who is that? That's Jesus, okay? So when Jesus would talk about himself, uh, he wouldn't say the son of God or the Messiah or the Christ. He would just simply say the son of man, the son of man. So that is Jesus. So Jesus, in this parable, that's very important. We'll tie this together later on. So Jesus is saying, I am the sower. I am planting seed. Okay, so there's two pictures here. 
God is planting seed, but we can join him in planting seed as well. So, all right, first one. Then there's an enemy that's at work. The enemy. Who's the enemy? The evil one, the devil. So very clearly, in the parable of the weeds, Jesus says, an enemy did this. The devil, the evil one who did this. So the devil is at work, and what is he doing? He's planting bad seed among God's field. Now, in the first, that's in the second parable, the parable of the weeds. In the first, first parable, it doesn't say so, but it's, it's, it's very clear that the, ev the devil, again, is at work. Remember, the, the farmer went out to sow the seed, and some of it fell on the path. What happens to the seeds on the path? They're being picked up, picked up by the, the birds, the birds, okay? And so Jesus' in the interpretation says the devil comes and takes it away. Okay, whatever is sown into the hearts of people, it cannot even grow because as soon as it's sown, the devil will take it away. So that is the work of Satan again. Um, and then some of it is sown among the rocks, and it grows initially because there's a little bit of soil, but not enough to sustain the, the growth, and so it withers as soon as the heat comes up. Jesus says that the persecution, trouble of life and persecution wither the plant. And then the last one is the one that sows, is sown into the, uh, the bushes. And uh, in that instance, it is the, the, um, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, Jesus says, that makes it um, dissipate. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, let, well, let's go there and read it if you have it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Paul tells us of the works of the enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, let me just read this, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. There's three enemies mentioned in this passage. It's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. It's the ways of the world. And it's the lust of the flesh. These are three strands that work together against us. And you see them at work here in this parable, don't you? In this first parable, the parable of the, of, of the sower... It's the deceitfulness of wealth, the lust for things, you know, that, that takes us apart. It's the devil who's at work or uh, the world that puts a pressure on us. So there's clearly an enemy who is at work trying to destroy the work of God um, in this world. The third point is this one, um, the field. What is the field in these parables? In the first parable, the parable of the sower, it's the heart of man. So think of your heart as a field upon which the seed of the word of God is planted. You're responsible. How you are receiving the word of God is your responsibility. If whether or not you give it room to grow in your heart so it can flourish, that's up to us. So the heart of man is is a field upon which the seed of the word of God can be sown. 
Now, in the second parable, I think you all understand this, don't you? And sometimes we see how people can reject or they can accept the message, whether or not they can, can actually uh, uh, grab roots and, and grow or not. So Jesus is, is trying to explain the process of what's going on in a man's heart when he hears the word of God, how he responds to this. And the process that went off, he's trying to explain through this parable. But in the second parable, what is the field? Verse 38, I think it is. What is the field? The world. What is the world? What is the world? People. Okay? For God so loved the world. It doesn't mean the cars. Okay? It doesn't love the cars so, so much or whatever. It, it's people. God loves people. And so uh, the field is the world. So God doesn't just look at us as individuals who received the word of God. He looks at the, at the whole of the world. He sees everyone. So Jesus is the sower, remember? He looks at the whole world as such. So Jesus wants all, God wants all men to be saved. Not just a few, all men. And so God looks at this world, and even today he sees pockets of darkness that are out there. Places where the gospel has not yet gone, has not yet been rooted in the word of God. So God himself looks at the world because he wants a harvest to come uh, through, through his, his eyes. And so he, for him, it's a field. And here's the important part. What is the seed? What is the seed? Whenever I ask this question, people always say it's the word of God. And it is. It is. Absolutely. In the first parable, that's the seed. So when we sow the seed, what do we sow? We, say the, we sow the message. We sow the message of the gospel into the hearts of people. How they respond is not necessarily our responsibility. It's their responsibility. Our responsibility is to be sowers. And so we take the word of God. We sow it into their hearts. But that's not it. There's another kind of seed. What's the other kind of seed? Verse 38, I think. What is it? The good seed stands for? For who? The sons and daughters, by the way. The children of God. So good, in the second parable, Jesus clearly said there's not only one kind of seed, there's another kind of seed, and you are seed in the hands of God. Look, look understand it this way. So God is the sower, Jesus is the sower. He looks at the whole, totality of the world as a field, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to plant you. So you are seed in my hand. I'm going to plant you. And then you, are, you turn around and, instead, and, and you, you can't, plant other people, but what you can do, you can sow the seed of the word of God. But you see, this is how God approaches evangelism. And that he says, the first step is, is I'm going to do, I'm going to use people. Now, could he do it better? Yeah, absolutely. He could do a much better job, but God chose to use the story of redemption by choosing, by, by choosing those who have been redeemed, sinful as we are, to, to use us for his glory. Can a seed say No. To the sower. 
Now, it doesn't turn out well, does it? I think what, what they're really, what Jesus is trying to say, are you willing to be planted? Are you willing to be seed in my hand that I can use you? And see, God, Jesus can use you. It could be your neighborhood. It could be where you work. It could be your family. It could be where you maybe hang out, uh, the gym, wherever that may be. Basically, you need to understand that you're not there just there by accident, but that God is actually pursuing something. He's always up to the harvest. He always wants to reach people. And the way he does it, he, he uses us. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm excited about what God is doing here. I'm so thankful how, how the Lord is leading, and, and as uh, Keith mentioned earlier. But listen to me as a pastor myself. A pastor cannot do this himself. Hear that? Okay, the job of evangelism is not just the pastor's job. Okay, we are all seed in God's hands. It's not just one person that goes, oh, you're going to be the, the exclusive one. I'm going to plant you here. I don't want you to grow the church. I want, to, want you to build the church. The rest of you just watch and clap. Hey, great job. No, this is not how God's kingdom works, okay? In God's kingdom, everyone is seed, and he wants to use all of us. The body works together, of course. And with our giftings, with our limitations, we come together. We help each other. But that's what God is up to. Can you hear me on this? So don't, don't just clap that the past is coming. But also be, know that God is challenging all of us because he's pursuing a harvest where you are because he wants to build his kingdom, and the way he's chosen, and you look at yourself, how could you ever choose me? Yeah, that's a good thought, actually, yes. How could he ever choose me? But that's what he does. He chooses us to be seed in his own hands. Um, so I'm excited. But you know what that role of a pastor is? Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Ephesians 4, 4, chapter 10 and 11, God has given the gifts of leadership, which is apostles, prophets, uh, teachers, pastors, evangelists, to do what? To do what? To equip the saints for works of service. That is his role. His role is to equip, in many ways, the body to function. So, but are you willing to be part of it, you know? I think that is what we need to know. On the, know. But what I'm trying to, the perspective I'm trying to give you this morning is God is the Lord of the harvest, and he's, he's always pursuing a harvest. And the way he does that is by people who are willing to join him in his mission. Um, then he talks about the weed that is sown. That doesn't, that in the first parable, it doesn't show up. In the second parable, it shows up. I don't want to say much to it. What is the weeds that are being planted? It's the sons of the evil one. It's the sons of the evil one. And uh, ultimately, that's God's decision. Who that is, he says, the harvest will show it, which is the last, uh, the last part I want to talk to you about in this parable. So the harvest is basically, uh, in the first par par parable, it's, it's the, uh, the process of bearing fruit is the harvest. So the, 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 the seed is bearing fruit. He says some of it 100 times, 60 times, 30 times. In the, in the second parable, it is the judgment, which is to come. And uh, some for condemnation and some for salvation. So that is the coming judgment that Jesus is saying. Um, at the end of this parable, Jesus says a very important thing. 
very end, he says this word, he who has ears, let him hear. What do you think that means? Mm -hmm. Obedience. Pay attention. Whenever you hear Jesus say these words, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, you better pay attention here. You better, this is important to me. So Jesus is not just teaching. He's actually saying, this is so important to me. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. And of course, he's talking about uh, uh, the threat of, uh, of condemnation, of, of, of eternity. But the full picture to understand. If we understand this, that people are condemned. We understand that there's an eternity without Jesus. In light of this, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. This is important to me, Jesus is saying. So are you willing to join the harvest? He is the Lord of the harvest. Are you willing to be part of the game, you know, not just sit on the sideline and, and cheer on, but to say, I am part of this church. I'm part of the work of God. I know we're small, but God can use anyone. Did you know that? He can use anyone. If he chooses so to do, do so, the, it's, it's the willingness that counts. Let me... Let me uh, Wrap up with the story here. Um, uh, this is a story of a lady, and she, she was a believer, but she was struggling to commit her life fully to God because she was still, the temptations of the world was still very, very strong in her life, and so she was just struggling to really commit herself fully to God. And so she went to see a pastor, and that, this story happened in Scotland, but that, that's beside the point. But, so she went to, to the pastor and asked, what should I do, what should I do? So he opened his Bible. He took her to Acts chapter 10. And this is the story of Peter. Uh, when Cornelius sent for Peter to come, and uh, an angel had appeared to Cornelius and said, sent for Peter. And so Peter um, was getting ready, so to speak. So he was up on a roof, and as, as the... the, uh, the the people that were sent from Cornelius were walking to Jaffa was where Peter was. Peter was on the roof. He was hungry, and he fell asleep, and he had a vision. And in that vision, a, a cloth came down from heaven. Do you remember the story? And in the cloth were all kinds of animals, most of them unclean animals that Jews were not allowed to eat. So a voice says to him, Peter, get up, slaughter, and eat. Peter's response was, surely not, Lord. Surely not. Because he had never eaten anything unclean. So he took her to this passage and says, You cannot say, surely no, Lord. Those two words do not go together. You cannot say no and Lord in the same sentence. If the Lord says something, you can only say no, and then he's not the Lord of your life. Or you can say yes, and he's the Lord of your life. So you've got to make up your mind. You have to erase one of these words. Either you say, surely no, Oh, you say, Lord, which one is it? So he, he just let her sit there with her Bible, walked out of the room. An hour later, he came back, and there was this woman in tears, and she had wept over her, over her Bible and finally come to the conclusion, I have to erase the no and say yes to God, whatever it is. It's a beautiful story of willingness, you know. Are we willing to give our hearts to Jesus? So you may want to do that today, you know. Go to Acts chapter 10, verse 14, and ask yourself this question. Are you willing to 
say yes to God. Because in Christ Jesus, Paul says, everything God says is yes to us. Everything is yes. So how can we say no to him? If he says, says yes to us, if all that he communicates to us is his yes and his love, how can we turn around and say, no, Lord, no, Lord? Those two words really don't go together, do they? Is there a willingness in your heart to just see, Lord, here I am. You're the Lord of the harvest. I'm but a small seed in your hand, but I am a seed in your hand. Plant me wherever you want me to be. Help me to find my role. Help me to find my part, my little part, whatever it may be, in this body where you've placed me so that you, God, can bring about a harvest. That's his job. Your job is to be seed in his hands.